Everyone has their sheets, I hope. Should be two pages. Looking at Minor Prophet number eight this evening, Habakkuk. This book is a book of encouragement for God's people. The prophet Habakkuk was concerned about some things that he saw around him. And as we'll see, he brings a couple questions before the Lord that he's wanting to see an answer to. And the Lord is gracious, listens to Habakkuk, answers his two questions in a manner that I think we can all appreciate. And the prophecy will end with, again, a series of blessings about what a great God we have and his character, what he is doing, and what he desires to do for his people. Let's, um, let's start. I want to read our notes. I've broken this down into each of the three chapters. We're going to go over the entire book uh, this evening. And I've tried to summarize in my notes each chapter. And I want to make sure that we read through that so we get all the points. I don't miss anything as we look at the verses this evening. So on page three of your notes, it says, the book of Habakkuk is a dialogue between a faithful prophet and God regarding the Lord's timings and methods in his dealings with man. Written around the time of the Battle of Carchemish, around 605 BC, between Babylon and Egypt, this book addresses some of the questions that Habakkuk had as God punished a disobedient and idolatrous Judah using the nations around her. Contemporaneous with the prophet Jeremiah, the book of Habakkuk sheds light on God's grace and mercy with his people. Chapter one can be broken down into three sections. One, wickedness. Two, God's tool for punishment. And three, the nature of God's tool. In the first section, Habakkuk laments the wickedness he sees around him in his own nation of Judah. Why are the wicked allowed to continue spoiling and committing violence? Why is righteous judgment lacking, yet wrong judgment abounding? Why are the wicked allowed to oppress the righteous? In the second section, God's tool for punishment is revealed the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, are terrible, dreadful, and arrogant. Their army is swift, fierce, and quick. Violent and proud, they will conquer the nations. In the third and final section, Habakkuk questions the use of the Babylonians in punishing Judah. How can a just and holy God use a wicked nation to judge a nation more righteous than herself? Babylon attributes her victories to her false gods rather than acknowledging the sovereignty of the Lord God. So let's go back to beginning of chapter one. 
I want to read through here, and I'll be asking questions as we go through this time. Starting in chapter 1, I'll look at verses 1 to 4 to see the preface to the book. It says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. He's concerned. He knows that God is coming to judge his people. And yet he looks around and sees the wickedness abounding around him and wonders what's going on. Why is this? Why isn't this dealt with? In verses 6 and 12 to 13, we learn about the instrument, the tool that God will use to judge his people. Verse 6 says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Verses 12 to 13. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? So that's Habakkuk's concern. One, why is the wickedness around us? And two, how can God use a nation of Babylon who's clearly more wicked than the nation of Judah as Habakkuk looks around? Now some questions for you. Is it wrong to ask of God if you don't understand what's going on at a particular point? No, that's not wrong. Is it wrong to second-guess God? That's where you got the issue. And that's where I think Habakkuk is almost falling into the trap. We need to trust God. We don't understand everything that's going on. We only see a very small picture of what's around us. God sees everything. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He knows the details of everything. And he knows what can be done and what can't be done. So when we don't understand what's going on, it's all right to ask of God and say, God, help me to understand what is my place? What do I need to do? How should I be praying? But it is wrong to say, God, what you're doing isn't right. I think I know better. Why don't you do it this way instead of the way you're doing it? My ideas. I've thought this through. Why can't we do it that way? Now you're, now you're bringing God down to your level. 
you're not trusting him, you're not having faith in what he can do, and issues can very quickly arise. But back to, back to the lesson, Habakkuk has the two questions as we've presented, what is God gonna answer? God is gracious, starts to answer him in chapter two. So if we move down to chapter two, let me read the notes to summarize chapter two for us. That's again on the bottom of page three. Recall the two questions raised by Habakkuk back in chapter one. Why does the evil remain unpunished in Judah? And two, how can a just God use a wicked nation to punish a more righteous nation? In chapter two, God answers Habakkuk. First, God will punish the wicked in Judah. Second, the wicked nation that God will use to punish Judah will also be punished in his time. Since all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, there are none righteous apart from God. To grade one nation more righteous than another does not solve the basic sin problem. Only in God through Christ can man gain the victory over sin. Prideful man must stop looking to himself, but rather to the Lord, where the just shall live by his faith. In chapter two, verses five to 19, the Lord lists five woes that the nation of Babylon is guilty of. First, Babylon is guilty of greed as she spoils the many nations. Second, Babylon is guilty of pride as she covets more than is due her. Third, Babylon has shown injustice in establishing her kingdom. Fourth, Babylon, will use, Babylon used undue violence as she conquered the nations. And fifth, Babylon was guilty of idolatry, trusting in dead, silent idols rather than in the living God. The just and righteous Lord will be magnified and the earth will keep silence before the Holy One. So let's look at some verses there in chapter two. Start in chapter two, verses two and three. Do I have a reader for verses two and three of chapter two? Miss Kelly? Verse two, indicating that the vision is being presented, God is answering Habakkuk. In verse three, we see that although Habakkuk was concerned that things didn't seem to be happening, God says things are happening, they will happen. Things are going to proceed and God will be in charge of what happens. Surely it will come, it will not tarry. Let's go down to verse four. I've got this highlighted in my Bible, and this is good to remember as far as what our position beneath God should be. Verse four says, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith, i.e., we don't understand everything that's happening. We don't know all that's going on in God's mind, but we can trust him and by faith proceed as God directs us through our faith and let him do the work. 
drop down to a smattering verses here, these five sins that are attributed to Babylon in this chapter all start with the word woe, W-O-E. They're found in verse 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19. Uh, one or more, read, want to read those verses? 6, 9, 12, 15, 19. We can break it up if you want. The structure of the book of Habakkuk is quite unique, broken down into little templates, uh, couplets of, of verses. And as, as we see, these each begin with the word woe. Recall that God was able to use Babylon as his servant to bring the initial judgment upon Judah, which was to come. But Babylon overstepped their bounds as far as the boundaries that God set up for them to be in. And these five areas here are five areas that in part brought the judgment that would come next upon the nation of Babylon as well. God is very specific when he uses a person or a group of people or a nation for his bidding. He sets the bounds of what they can do and what they shouldn't do. And as long as they stay within their, those bounds, God will be, will accept their, their duty. But when they overstep their bounds, as Babylon does here, according to Habakkuk chapter two, then God intervenes on judgment for them as well. And that, would, that was coming. And I found it interesting that like verse 19 there, talking about idolatry, how prevalent that was in the, the time of the kings and the time of the conquest of Jerusalem and, and Judah. Everybody was into idolatry. God was there revealing himself over and over and over, both, both to his people and the nations around him. Yet they rejected him and looked to their idols time and time again. They could not speak, they could not hear, they could not move, yet they trusted in him. And let's finally drop down to chapter three, the good words that God gives us in Habakkuk as far as his people and us that we can include ourselves in. This is a prayer and God is basically raising the Lord on high for who he is and all that he does. Look at uh, chapter three, I'll read verses one and two, and then we'll drop down and I'll ask for readers for the rest of it here. Chapter three, verses one and two, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shuganath. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. God is a gracious God, God is a merciful God. Verses three to 15, kind of a big chunk, someone want to read that for us? Chapter three, verses three to 15. Okay, I'll read that for us. God came from Teman, 
and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. In his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea, that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? The bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation under the neck, Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. God's a mighty God, and even when we see him using a nation such as Babylon as his servant, his tool, to do his bidding, he is still in charge, and it's his might that is making things move. It is his strength that is overthrowing the nations. It's his wisdom that is leading them and telling them uh, which direction to go and when to go and how to do it. Habakkuk had nothing to fear. He just had to remember who God was. The final verses of this book are quite telling words. Whenever we get into a situation where we don't see the, the way out or things are going bad and they don't seem to be getting any better, we can still trust in him. And these verses give us a key to where our trust needs to be and what we need to stand on uh, when difficulties come. Look at uh, here the final three verses, 16, so, let's go 17, 18, and 19. Someone want to read that for us? Final three verses, 17, 18, and 19. Verse 17, kind of a, a verse where nothing seems to be going right. Fig tree not blossoming, no fruit, olives failed, the fields not yielding their meat, 
the flock cut off, no herd in the stalls. Yet verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. No matter how tough things get, how difficult they become, how many dead-end paths you end up going down, you just get frustrated and don't know what what you're doing, we can always go back to our ground floor, the Lord Jesus Christ, our foundation, the basis of our salvation. No matter what happens, we can always rest in that, and that God is the God of our strength, and the God who uh, is the God of our salvation and rejoice no matter what comes. He's the one that leads us. We don't have to figure it out. Just go where he leads us to go. We don't do it in our own strength. It's his strength that we rely on. We're not doing the work. He does the work. He shares the blessings with us. So as we look at the book of Habakkuk, The two questions, God is working in our midst and his plan will proceed at his time, his way, and we have nothing to fear because God is the God of everything. Any questions, comments on this this book of Habakkuk? Number nine, we'll be heading into the book of Zephaniah. If you want to read ahead, 